0: Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, February 14th, 2023 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. To all of you who celebrate, Happy Valentine's Day! This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest – old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe my guest today is jazz baritone saxophonist composer and arranger carl maragi baritone saxophonist carl maragi moved to new york city from his native montreal canada he received his artist diploma from the prestigious juilliard school where he studied and performed with many great jazz artists such as joe temperley victor going Joe Lovano, Benny Golson, Wycliffe Gordon, and Wynton Marsalis. In New York City, he played in concerts with Winter Marsalis and the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra. He performs and tours with the Lionel Hampton Celebration Band that includes Nicholas Payton, Curtis Fuller, Jason Marsalis, and singer Diane Shore. Carl is also involved with Argentine bassist and composer Pedro Gerardo's orchestra with recordings, concerts in the New York area, and a tour in Macau, China. Carl is part of the acclaimed David Berger jazz orchestra, touring and recording regularly in the United States and Europe. This ensemble performed every Tuesday night at the famous New York jazz club, Birdland, for three years, and recorded music for actor-director Denzel Washington's movie, The Great Debaters. The orchestra was part of two. Mark Twain prize, PBS specials, honoring comedy legends, Billy Crystal and Bill Cosby, recorded at the Kennedy Center in Washington, DC. Carl participated in the Henry Mancini Institute program in Los Angeles, where he performed with saxophone great Chris Potter and trumpet icon, Doc Severinsen. After their meeting in California, Mr. Severinson employed Carl in his own big band that included Ed Shaughnessy, John Bambridge, and Snooky Young. He completed his Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in music performance at Concordia University in Montreal before his studies at the Juilliard School in New York, along with performing professionally in different jazz ensembles in the Montreal jazz scene. And at the world-renowned Montreal International Jazz Festival, he appeared regularly as a musician on several radio and television shows. He recently recorded with singer Alicia Keys on her CD, As I Am, and performed with Stuart Copeland, composer and drummer of the rock group The Police. He also performed for the President of the United States at the White House with the Harlem Jazz Museum All-Star Orchestra conducted by Lauren Schoenberg. He toured with clarinetist extraordinaire Ken Paplowski and was part of the late singer-pianist and American legend Bobby Shorts' Nonette. He is performing regularly on Broadway show hits Jersey Boys and Billy Elliot. Carl Maragi leads and composes for many different projects, including film scores, his own quartet and quintet, the Carl Maragi Sax Ensemble, and the Mulligan and More Fortet, with Jerry Mulligan alumni bassist Bill Crow. The album Blossom, released in the spring of 2009, is his first opus. It features original compositions and arrangements in different jazz settings, and has already been acclaimed by renowned jazz musicians and critics. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Carl Meragi. Hello, Carl. Hi, Greg. It's uh, great to have the opportunity to uh, talk with you and to have you as a guest on my podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's you bet. I, it, it, you know, one of the questions I like to ask everyone, because I'm interested in everybody's origin story. What or who turned the light on for you? What turned you on to music?
1: Okay. Um, uh early age um i I was born in montreal canada and uh a very early age uh i had an older sister my mom was, was a piano teacher and a music teacher when she was younger and then uh so that definitely that that had that's the start you know she we were listening to music all the time in the house and then uh, I remember when my mom sat me down and say, "Okay, so you have a choice. Do you want to play the piano, or do you want to play the violin?" And at that time, my older sister was playing piano, mm-hmm. so I said, "I want to play the violin." I okay, be different. So I was probably about five years old, and I, yeah, I was five, and I played violin for about five six years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I remember I. Until about sixth grade, so, yeah, my sixth grade, uh, I didn't. I remember this one year I decided I don't want to do any music. I'm done. I'm tired of practicing, and you know, so uh, sixth grade I didn't do anything. And then uh, when I was in seventh grade, actually it's the first grade of secondary school uh, in Quebec, so I started to play the saxophone. And, mm-hmm. um, so, but I already had all that musical background. My, my head and uh the knowledge of instruments and orchestration not not orchestration writing but you know the different instruments timbers and i went to concerts my mom i remember my uh, when my mom was bringing me to the the mso the montreal symphony orchestra uh concerts and uh seeing um uh violin concertos because i was playing violin so i and i remember vividly uh those concerts and um even though I can't remember what uh, who I was seeing, and I can't remember what they were playing, but I remember the impact it had on me, and uh, and uh, that's and that was the f- the first you know mo- those first few years I really fell in love with orchestral music, mm-hmm. and um, I really got into it, and then uh, I started playing saxophone, but I was playing in the band, and that was my thrill to play in the in the wind band, and that's. Uh, that's how it it grew that I love large ensembles and I, I I like to have my little part on it, and then sometimes my little part was becoming a little bit bigger when I had a solo or leading the the section or anything I was playing alto saxophone
2: uh-huh. and
1: then, uh yeah that's 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 where it really planted and then I, I was fairly successful doing some uh some solo work and doing competition and and, um, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, with piano, so, you know, the saxophone, alto saxophone mm-hmm. solos. And then, uh, um, and then, uh, but, but then around 15 or 16, I started to play jazz. I, I, I didn't know anything about jazz before that. I knew uh-huh. of. I was listening to it for uh-huh. fun and I loved it, but I didn't know what it was. And then uh, that's when we started to play in the big band, and then that's that's when it, the bug just bit me and say, "Oh my God, this is it! This I love doing this." I didn't know I was going to do this in my life. Mm-hmm. Actually, it took me a long time before yeah. I said, that's what I want to do in my life. No, I was just like kind of more of a happy-go-lucky guy. Yeah, whatever's happening is that's what I'm doing, and it's fun. And uh I, I did I was doing the same thing in sports, you know. I was like, All right, I'm a football player, I'm a skier, I'm like I love doing this, I love doing that. You know, I was not oh man, I'm gonna make it to the NFL. No, I was not thinking ahead like that. Mm-hmm. And I was doing the same with music. I was not saying, Oh, that's what I wanna do with my life for the rest mm-hmm. of my No, I was just playing music and I was trying to do it as best as I could
0: and I was having fun. That's yeah.
2: all. It was just I, I, I
0: your story sounds very similar to mine I yeah. think in that in that uh except instead of violin I started out uh playing the organ Oh cool yeah And uh and I did that and then one day the you know the junior high school band came to my elementary school and again I don't know what they played or how they played it but but all I remember is going that sounds cool Yeah and man. so wanting to get into into band and uh and jazz, you talk about playing jazz. Was this in a school big band? Yeah, it was
1: in a school big band. And I, actually, it was totally the students that decided. I was uh, with uh, a couple of my friends and said, "Man, we want to play jazz, yeah, because mm. it's cool." Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, so we asked the one teacher that knew about jazz a little bit, a uh, great trumpet Eric Awi, who was in uh, Jakarta right now. Yeah, he, he moved there. He's from there, and uh, but he was he's, he's he was in Montreal for a long time, and then it was a great trumpet teacher, fantastic educator, and uh, and uh, he had an impact on me. This guy, and uh-huh. then, and then um, yeah, he's so he he we asked him if he wanted to conduct the big band, and we did it for a couple of years before I graduated high school, and and um, and it, it was a, a great experience. I, I got to play. Lead alto, I got to play uh, some tenor as well, and um, experiment a little bit on on certain church. I was not playing baritone at all, but hmm. but um, yeah, but definitely the baritone. I always had a a thing for it. I, had, okay. I always had a crush on the baritone because I don't know, I don't know. I th- uh, even then, I, I knew that a, a baritone saxophone could make or break a band, and I, I mm-hmm. love that that concept on a, in an instrument. And, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that was that was actually that leads me great to my next question. I was going to yeah. have you address is you know in particular what drew you to the baritone, and you're right, it's the foundation of that saxophone section.
1: Oh man, it's the foundation of all the band. The yeah, band.
0: I mean, uh, yeah. So,
1: so I mean. Uh, so uh, during that time, that was like in the early '90s, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: there was a recording, a couple of recording, that was uh, that were uh, out up there in Montreal, and uh, they were kind of popular in my little community, I guess, um, and especially the jazz community in Montreal. And uh, Denny Christensen, who just passed away, who was a great composer and arranger. He had a big band up there. He was teaching at McGill, or Concordia. I, I don't know exactly where, mm-hmm. where he was. I think it was he was teaching at McGill, uh, like a arrangement, uh, arranging or big band conducting I don't know exactly what, what he was doing, but uh, he was there. He, he, he's a guy from Toronto, I think, but uh, he, he was in Montreal at that time, and he had a big band in the mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. Uh of all the greatest all the great players in Montreal were playing in this band. And then uh they, they he invited Pepper Adams oh. to come and record with him. And they did two albums, and those two albums are the last recordings of Pepper. Oh. So, and then I was listening, my friend who was playing because I was playing classical music. it was like totally classical mm-hmm. And then um and then my friend uh my best friend was playing the baritone sax uh, christoph moss he was playing the baritone sax at that time and then he was he was the guy that was listening to a lot of jazz and he he hit me up to to those recordings and now we were listening to those uh those recordings together uh, all the time and that's when that man the baritone man that you can do that on the baritone that sound? yeah 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 now even though Pepper was a, you know, it was a, he was sick uh, and uh, he was a little more fatigued and then, but you could hear the real gruffiness of Pepper, even though he was like, uh, uh, not uh, 1958
0: Pepper, you know, Sure.
1: but, um, and that's what, that was the planting of the seed of man, the baritone is uh, an instrument that I really want to discover a little bit more. I didn't really know it at that time. But mm-hmm. that's when I was really started to listen to Big Band.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, the, the Big Band music. And that's when I, I, I kind of discovered Duke and Benny Goodman and all that stuff. Sure. You know, during that time it was 1617. It was a little late, you know,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But I was still doing a lot of classical stuff. And that was my main thing. And then that was fine. Um, uh-huh. And then I decided to do something completely different, and uh, I was into cinema as well. And so I studied cinema for a couple of years, and then when I went, I went to Concordia, and that's when I started to dive into, you know, get my saxophone stuff, jazz saxophone stuff together. I was studying with Dave Turner, who really uh, helped me out and planted all the the foundation of my, my my jazz education. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a couple of years, and Jimmy Woodsick was fantastic educator as well. Um, so yeah, so th- those those but those Danny Christiansen big band um, uh-huh. recordings were the first part, first time I really dug into the baritone saxophone sound, and uh, and then uh, you know I, I moved on from there and started start listening to um, Nick Brignola and then uh, you know more more modern. Uh, baritone sax players. And then uh, I got into Harry Carney a little later. And that's, that's when I really felt that uh, baritone was something I really wanted to do. Uh, and then uh, after that, a little later, a few years later, that's when I really uh, uh, dove into Jerry Mulligan. Like oh, really, okay. Real hard. Yeah, those are my, of course, those are the The three most known baritone players, I guess. I mean, there's plenty more. Uh, Sure. I mean, if we go modern, Gary Smulyan is always, you know, the 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 first call, perfect baritone player uh, uh, in our community right now, in New York. Um, And then, um, but those 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 three, you know, Mulligan, Carney, and Pepper are the. You know, my, that's what I'm aiming for. You know, those, you know, you know, I'll never get it. I'll I'll be, I'll be me. I'll be Carl. Yeah. Those, those three guys, you know, they're three different ways of playing the instrument. and Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that I want to
0: have that in my playing. Sure. You want that, you know, it's, you know, it all becomes part of our own DNA. Yeah. you know, who we listen to and, and who we emulate. And,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: Pepper Adams is somebody that I have a hole in my knowledge base when it comes to Pepper Adams. I, I know of him, but yeah. I don't know a lot about him. But interestingly enough, about three months ago, an acquaintance of mm-hmm. mine uh, gave me a book all about Pepper Adams. Mm-hmm. And it's just sitting on my shelf waiting to be read. And then I have a colleague of mine at the university who's actually a uh, biologist uh, by trade but he's one of the he's also a top-notch baritone saxophonist uh, he'll play like with the milwaukee symphony pops orchestra and uh, does some of the gigs at the casinos and so forth he's a big pepper adams aficionado mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and so i know that that's somebody i need to to learn more about uh, because his name keeps cropping up my, my you know my experience i rec- being a trumpet player of course i was a huge fan and still am a huge fan of maynard ferguson mm-hmm. and i still oh, recall yeah, oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Another, another another great canadian artist uh, and uh, uh but uh, i always remember a recording a tune that he had I I don't remember which album it was on now. It was called Superbone Meets the Bad Man. And it was oh, yeah, talking yeah. about his Barry Sags player, Bruce Johnstone. Yeah, man. And mm-hmm. man, that guy could just rip it up on the horn. And I remember, really I always loved that tune, not only for Maynard's playing, but also uh, the, the Barry Sags play that was that was on there. And uh so but that's I, a style of playing, Bruce. Uh, I mean Pepper and then
1: Nick Brugnola. Mm-hmm. And Gary and uh, and Bruce and Ronnie Kuber and uh, 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 De Blasio, uh, yeah,
0: oh Dennis he, De Blasio. And man, he's
1: unbelievable players. Mm-hmm. And Dave Schumacher, Roger Rosenberg, you know, all those guys. Uh, yeah. they, they, I mean, not that they're all playing in the Pepper vein. They don't. They don't. Uh, maybe Gary is more of a Pepper guy uh and then uh and and I love that style it's very quick witty thinking you know using the vocabulary uh and using the the harmonics uh harmonic ideas and then uh the dexterity uh that's that's what really mm-hmm. drawn me to that sound um and then the, but the for the sound and for the emotion and and then Foundation of the instrument. Harry Carney was always my guy, and uh, mm-hmm. and then of course when I came to Juilliard, uh, that was when everything kind of popped out. And mm-hmm. then even then, when I came, when I, I auditioned for Juilliard, going to New York was not a thing that I was like really. I was more afraid of it maybe. Yeah, because it's a huge deal. Oh sure. To, uh, <laughs> to go from Montreal where I was starting early, my, in my early 20s was starting to, you know, uh, get n- to be known as a baritone player and, and then start to gig a lot. And um, I was a professional, you know, I just mm-hmm. graduated from Concordia, uh, there are four universities in Montreal, the two English ones and two French ones. So Concordia and McGill are the English ones. Université Montreal and uh Université de, du Québec à Montréal uh, UCAM is the other one. They all all very good music mm-hmm. programs by
2: mm-hmm. the way.
1: Mm-hmm. And then the, the the conservatory as well who's a fantastic music program um, uh, in Montreal. So anyway, so I did Concordia because that's what I did. And then uh, sure. and then when I graduated I was a professional in the Montreal music community and I was doing my thing and I was having a good time and but then i auditioned for for julian uh and then i eventually got in and i got in the middle of the year of the of the next year in 2002
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then even though i knew about joe temperley i i never really uh studied his music like i i did nick Borignola or 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 um or Pepper Adams, or, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: So I, I knew of him because he played with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, Lincoln Center um, Jazz Orchestra back in the background, mm-hmm. that was how they were pronouncing them were uh, the band's name. And then um, I remember my first audition, uh, not audition, but lesson with him with Joe. And that's when everything completely popped up. Uh i was like oh my god this is it because joe emulated everything that i wanted (laughs) that i didn't know i wanted and then uh that's when that's when that's why joe temporarily will always have a had a huge impact on me Uh as as a musician baritone sax player but as a person too because he was like the kind of person and the kind of guy, a, a musician, I wanted to be, mm-hmm. in many in many ways, not all. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got his thing, and I got my thing. But, but uh, that's when a lot of things made sense to me, mm-hmm. and uh, that's and that's when I said, I said to myself, "That's it." I was already like twenty-five or something like that, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, that's when I said, "Oh man, this is it." This is it. All the answers are right there. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, Joe. And I studied with Joe for like two and a half years or so. But but we became very good friends and Uh kept playing and talking on the phone. And uh, I had a a special ring uh, on my phone. I knew it was it was it was the the Big Ben bells Uh from London. I knew it was him calling me. Uh, Yeah, he's Scottish anyway. So. So uh, so yeah, Joe really m- made a lot of sense in my, in my head about
2: uh-huh.
1: how to play the baritone, why you play the baritone, the purpose of the baritone saxophone in a band and uh, and uh, you know, projection, uh, uh, you know all those concepts all in one sound, especially sound. I mean, Joe's just got the biggest sound ever and. Um, and then uh, discuss. You know, we, we, we had discussion about about um, our how to, you know, use our physical attributes. You know, mm-hmm. what do you do in your mouth? What when you play? What do you? Where do you put your tongue? How come you sound that way? And where? And then not that he knew everything. No, he, he was discovering with me. We were mm-hmm. just having discussion and say uh, and experimenting together. And I tell you, when I was playing. Uh, when we were playing duets at juilliard i swear to god the fourth floor was shaking man because uh first of all i was practicing all week you know in my little cubicle at, you know little practice room at juilliard and i was like yeah man it's starting to sound pretty good yeah okay all right and i'm going to my lesson with joe and joe was just playing one note and just, I was just like, oh, god, I sound like a little mosquito <laughs> compared to this guy yeah, I was uh, yeah. I was always like, oh my god! But we were playing Bach etudes, you know. He, he was mm-hmm. playing the uh, flute sonatas. We were we were playing the flute part as as is on the baritone, and right. then uh, the the right hand of the piano, and we we're playing duets together. Oh, wonderful! And then I mean the whole the whole fourth floor was shaking. We're, like, <laughs> we're not playing loud. No, that's the thing with Joe. Yeah, We're play yeah. loud, and that's the, one of the first thing that he told me. Why do you put so much air? Yeah, we need to play it out. Right, you will be heard. You have to be have confidence in your sound that you will be heard, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then uh, and then work on your project projection, but without blowing loud. I was telling mm-hmm. you stories about him uh, sitting right by har- uh, Harry Carney, and then um, and learning the book when he was first moved in uh, in New York in the sixties. And then he became very good friends with Harry Carney, and then uh, and Harry Carney was not blowing hard at all. He was mm-hmm. not playing mm-hmm. loud, but his yeah. sound was so luscious and so so huge that that's the guy that you can hear sure. when, when near the band in the back of the in, in the. I mean, it's com- completely different sound in the back of the room. Yeah, you know? but yeah. What, well, there's yeah.
0: a big difference, and that's something I always try to get across to my students as well. There's a difference between projection and playing loud. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can play loud, but then make kind of a nasty tone, but it doesn't really carry. But if you work on your tone and work on that projection, you can carry even at softer volumes yeah and uh so I think that's that's really a good uh, a good point. But Carl, there's something I wanted to uh talk with have you talk about. I was going to ask you about it later in the interview anyway, but you've uh, brought up uh a number of times about your classical yeah. background and your classical training, and of course, another type of group that I love to listen to are saxophone quartets, well, yeah. saxophone yeah. ensembles, period. Yeah. And you have uh, a group that I found you playing with on YouTube, called the New View Saxophone Quartet. Yeah. You are really the first saxophonist I think I've 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 had as a guest that also played uh, chamber music in the classical tradition. Mm-hmm. Would you talk a bit just about uh, saxophone quartets, and then about the New View Saxophone Quartet in particular? Sure.
1: Um well you know like i said i was playing a lot of classical saxophone when i uh, first learned the, the instrument i was in my teens and uh, and uh, we had at the time in my school we had a very good saxophone quartet and we played a lot of the the repertoire and i learned a lot about about the saxophone quartet repertoire then and you know we were playing Glazunov and all that stuff, and then mm-hmm. it was um, it was an amazing learning experience, and I always loved it. When I started to be um, more of a jazz musician, I did still in Montreal. So in my early twenties, I was I was uh, I started to play with my uh, I was part of a big band. That we were playing very often, and then that sax section, we decided to play either five saxes uh, in arrangements, and then, or sometimes when one of us couldn't make it, we were doing a lot of saxophone quartet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I kind of continued to play that repertoire. Uh, even though we're all jazz musicians, we all study classical. I don't know if it's a thing, but uh, most of the musician I grew up with, we all learn classical music, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's great foundation about, um, about uh, you know, technical issues with the saxophone that we usually don't um, don't really uh, practice that much when, mm-hmm. we, but I mean, I'm saying this, but then there's a lot of jazz players that only did play jazz that have a, a amazing technique and not just technique, but you know, physical technique, how to put your, you know, your embouchure and then and uh you know you know simple things like don't blow cheeks and all that and Mm -hmm. even though if you blow cheeks and you sound great you know who cares but um yeah saxophone uh, classical training was very rigorous about 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 those kind of things so so i I think i i learned a lot of them and then um when i came i came here in in, in new york i didn't play quartets that much but i still had my big book of quartet music that i was okay And then eventually the, the pandemic hits um and that's like 15 years later or whatever it was 18 years later pandemic hits and then nobody's playing with anybody and then uh, my friend uh mark Fanef, uh amazing musician and then jay branford amazing musician and mark loatman another fantastic musician and myself we, we got together and and we went to mark's uh mark Fanef's, uh house uh, you know, about thirty minutes. I'm, I'm I live in Harlem, about thirty minutes north of me, and I drive up there. Uh, and then we started practicing quartet. Uh, mm-hmm. so we started uh, to play outside. You know, to be uh, you know, it's still COVID time. And then uh, we built up a, a good repertoire of you know jazz, jazz stuff. Uh uh we, we played the Jerry dodge and thank uh thank you I think um that's a fantastic quartet piece uh, mm-hmm. and then we we did the, some classical as well mm-hmm. and then, um and uh we that kind of kept my 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 saxophone mojo up mm-hmm. as uh, I was practicing at home and um actually during the covid, especially the first few months, I was practicing every day, sure. I said I won't let this thing get to me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were like desperate and all that. I was like, I'm practicing every day, no matter what. You and I, and, I, and that's when I had time to go back and started to practice all my classical stuff that I used to play. Yeah. So I went back all the, all the way back and then practiced all the concertos and then um, and then and start practicing concertos that I never got to play. Like wow. uh, uh Um. Like the Iber, the Iber. I never mm-hmm. got to play that, and so I practice the Iber and practice some like really hard technical parts. And I was doing all this on my con baritone. Okay. So, so, um, so in the con baritone—I don't know if you know, but that, that's a beast with like action, very really high. So playing classical, super nice and precise, is really hard. It's not like an alto saxophone that's with with closed action. And you can super, you can rip with that super Mm -hmm. fast. Now with the con, it's like, ah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, It was was kicking my butt every day, but uh, I loved it. It's a good kicking butt.
0: Yeah. Well, as you know, I'm glad to hear that you took that approach. That was my similar way of thinking. I mean, you know, no gigs, no rehearsals. I might as well do something productive. And so I decided to go back and refine basic skills. That's yeah. basically what I told myself, and I went back and practiced uh, out of my Arben book and my Herbert Clark book, you know. Yeah. But but really focusing every day on just refining those basic skills, yeah. and I I believe that I'm probably a much better player today because of that. Yeah. You know? Because I, you know, as I used to like to tell my students, you know, the the pyramid will only go as high as the base is wide, the base of the pyramid and your basic skills are that base, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of, you know, took my own advice and, uh, I think that's, that's great. And, Uh and, and, and classical saxophone offers so much. I, I love classical saxophone music. I had a, a good friend of mine here in Waukesha by the name of Larry Sheets. Larry was one of the founding members of the Chicago saxophone quartet. And uh, as a result, of course, he knew lots and lots of people in the saxophone world. And one year he uh, he uh, had me host what we called a saxo fest at the university where I was on the faculty. And he was able to bring in Jean-Marie Landex and also uh, uh, Bill Street. And uh, and of course, uh, uh, Jean Marie did uh, master classes with students, and Amazing. Bill <clears throat> Bill would translate. What what year was that? Oh my goodness! I, I I you know I don't remember. I'd have to really dig back, but I'm going to guess and say it was probably uh, early to mid 2000s. Oh wow! Okay, All right. But uh, what was for me a real treat is that uh, Larry, because he had all kinds of connections in Chicago, brought together players from up from Chicago, and they had a saxophone orchestra which had instruments all the way from the sopranino down to the tubaks. Oh, my gosh, what a sound that was, you know, and, and, you know, with bass saxophone, sax, alto tenor, you know, everything else in between. It was really an awesome sound. But I also recall very fondly Bill Street's recital and just the incredible nuance that that man could get from the instrument. Uh, always, uh, you know, really brought me into uh, loving the, the saxophone and the and the the sounds and the varieties that are there and mm-hmm. saxophone ensembles too. You, know. you talk about nuance. That's one of the things that one of the main things. Okay,
1: technical abilities, absolutely. The rigor, the rigor of you know practicing etudes and all that stuff. Yes, but you you got to bring that to to the jazz, to, to your jazz world, I guess, in a way, but the nuances, uh, is this, the subtle magic that you can add to your, to your other word, the jazz world that, uh, sometimes lacks, uh, you know, uh, I hear a lot of guys, fantastic musicians and I love them, but the, but it's only one dimensional playing mm-hmm. sort of overblowing you know and then it, it doesn't stop and that's the way they and then they're soft they sound it they, they have the same kind of uh harshness to their sound even when they play soft you know mm-hmm.
0: well so, see there's you know I, I with with kids when i, when I kids when i taught jazz appreciation at the university and i would want to point to an example of a uh uh you know uh, a saxophonist. Of course, you talk about John Coltrane and Charlie Parker, Jerry Mulligan, but I would always bring up Paul Desmond because Desmond had what I considered this is just my opinion, and disagree with me if you do, but of all the jazz uh, saxophonists of that era, the most classical sound, his tone a
1: nice round sound exactly
0: it was yeah. very there was no harshness in his sound and he seemed to just I, 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 those uh improvisations that he and brubeck would do that would kind of sound like two-part inventions mm-hmm. and he would it sound it would just sound like he was just floating over the keys i mean he mm-hmm. had that that nuance you know was, those, those albums with uh with
1: jerry Mulligan. yes Paul Desmond and Jerry Mulligan, two of a kind and all all oh, man, those are my, one of my, you know, a few of my favorite albums in the, in, of all time. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous, gorgeous. The Jerry Mulligan quartet featuring Paul Desmond, mm-hmm. it's really something,
0: something else, man. It was I great. have that in my collection somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, very good. Well, well, you know, aside from COVID, You know, COVID was a challenge for a lot of people, but aside from COVID, what are the major challenges of being a musical artist in the 21st century? Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I I don't know, man. Um, You know, just being a musician in any, you know, like you say, aside from COVID, and you know, like I said uh, earlier, uh, I was uh, like happy-go-lucky, just, yeah, I do what I do and that's it, you know, and I'm persistent, you know. I don't, I don't think about other paths that much, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, no, this is it, you know, and I don't really think about what could or what if. And, um, so once I was engaged in that musical path, uh, even if it was not like completely, you know, is it what I'm doing? Is is it going to stay with me all my life? I don't know. In my early twenties, I was like that. You know, I know some people, some of my friends that like they knew they were eight years old, then, and it was like, oh, I'm going to be a jazz musician. That's it. And we like, oh wow, man! Mm-hmm. I didn't even know jazz at all when I was eight. Um, so. Um, Yes, it's it's hard. Uh, it's hard, I guess. Uh, is it as hard as being a bricklayer at uh, one hundred twenty degrees outside of Dubai? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's physical because I play the baritone and the bass clarinet and the you know and the flute mm-hmm. and uh, you know and I go up the hill and take the subway and um, it's hard because there's a lot of Competition and you kind of not competition. Actually, I say I should not say it's competition. It's just like a lot of great players, and you want to be part of the community that you know that that keeps musical integrity and, and you know a, a level of musicianship as high as you can, and uh, and you keep working at it and you trying to practice. You're busy, but you know the phones. The phone rings, and mm-hmm. you keep getting gigs. And then what's great about what I'm doing is I get a lot of different kind of gigs. I'm, it's, I'm not just playing. Right. Baritone, uh, big band, modern contemporary jazz, the b- b- big band, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing all kinds of stuff from, from leading a quartet from doing my own things, uh, or from like, a saxophone, quart- classical saxophone quartet, or, um, mm-hmm. Or even top 40 and I, I do a wedding now and sure. then, just like make a little bit of money and I'm free tonight, you know, let's go. And yeah. I, and, uh, and then the, the money, the range of the money goes from like playing a little gig with friends for $30 to like a concert hall for a thousand, but you know, it's, 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 it is, um, fascinating to navigate through that. And I just plow through. I don't. Sure. Really, is it t- hard? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the kind to dash on my. Oh my God! It's so hard. Right. No. I do talk to um, the older generation. That said, that you know, most of those guys and gals tell me that back in the day, we had recording sessions all day and gigs at night, and uh, and then you could provide for your family very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like being the only person working in the family in in a couple and pay for the house pay for the gas the car parking mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all the parking was a lot easier back in the day mm-hmm. and then uh you know i speak to people that were here in the 60s and and, and 70s and, and uh, yeah non-stop playing all day yeah. all night and yeah. like and when did you sleep oh man I'll sleep when I'm dead and that's the right. you know that's the New York motto is like oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead when I'm dead and I I've done that a lot especially with young kids it's hard mm-hmm. because uh, my wife works in the morning she's out the door at 6 30. it doesn't matter if I went if I came back from my gig at three o'clock in the morning sure. I'm up at 6 30. right and I with the, the kids are up and because man my 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 number one gig is to be a dad Yep. and a good family person. Sure. and I and, I, and I, I love my family like everybody. And then uh, I'm up and I'm breakfast and go to school and or daycare or whatever. You, uh-huh. You and then I off to my rehearsals or if I have time, uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, do, I will practice in the morning or warm up and and you know. But then you still have to, I don't know, go grocery shopping and, and then, oh, yeah. <laughs> You got to live life the gym
0: once in a while. And so,
1: yeah, and what, you, know,
2: yeah, you still soft. have
0: to go grocery shopping and get the oil changed in the car and take yeah, out you the trash. Take life. Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of things happen. I guess, the, uh, you know, it just seems to me that, uh, uh, you know, even in, in New York, you know, when you're in such a uh, uh, an environment that is so full of excellent musicians that that is kind of a double-edged sword in that on one hand you're in an environment that that uh promotes your personal growth Mm -hmm. but you're also in an environment where there's a number of other people that could get the gig that you could get and who Mm -hmm. knows you know and 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 how you how you you know who gets what Call and when and why and so forth uh, is certainly kind of challenging, but then I suppose every profession is is you know that way i mean it's well, that, was the challenge,
1: that challenge I know what you mean and then but that yeah. challenge uh is can be um, you know if you do the work and you have confidence in your abilities and uh, even though it's like oh man. I could do that gig. Why didn't he call me? Or you know, man, you know all those kind of thinking that yeah, we, yeah. we all do. Even though some people say they don't, they do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's and then um, you go. You, you're able to pass through. Like, we can't have all the gigs. We That's can't. right. We can't have them all, and then uh, it gives you time to be able to build on on maybe your your own thing. You know, and then have the balance is very difficult. But um, again, you plow through the balance between being a sign man, being a leader, and then the and then diversity in your gigs. Uh, um, and then uh, you know, if I'm if I'm available, I will say yes. Yeah. Then figure it out. Yeah. Uh, it's not. I'm not saying that a lot. A lot of guys do that, but a lot of a lot of people I say, guys. You know, yeah. So um, uh, we all do that. We're, we're gonna say yes to anything. But a lot of people will say, mm, I'm not gonna do that gig. I'm too busy. I'm, a, I'm just gonna stay home. Yeah, I know some people that do that from, from time to time. But not a lot of people do that. You know, you just say yes, and then figure it out. And yeah. even if it's a, a gig, there's a few gigs that I'm, I don't want to you know i'm kind of complaining about and then i'm and then sometimes my wife says why do you say yes to those gigs says, because i'm available yeah and i rather that night i'd rather have my horn in my face than not have my horn in my face yeah, i hear you i hear you if it's if it's a real problem in the family you know and and then uh my wife is working and i need to be there with the with my boys yeah yeah it's a, I, I... It's a great reason to stay home Oh, no, I,
0: I I hear you. I appreciate everything that you. I actually have similar kinds of experiences. You know. Yeah. It's like, uh, all right, like in Wisconsin, winter time. Mm-hmm. I usually do not like to go out and play. New Year's Eve, mm. even though New Year's Eve is usually always a you're almost always guaranteed a gig somewhere.
1: Yeah. But
0: I don't like to play New Year's Eve. Because road conditions are not always uh, dependable. People. yeah right? so it's not always safe to travel and and uh, and after midnight, who knows how many drunks are on the roads, you know what I mean? And uh, I would rather you know, preserve myself rather <laughs> than than, uh, than just to go out to play a gig, uh, no. even like on New Year's Eve. Well, even with, the, with, with that that in mind? Let's say
1: you do say yes, and then you kind of regret it. But yeah. when you bandstand, and you play your horn, you never regret it. You always, yeah. Young, man. Yeah, it's it's. I'm more of a, the the kind of guy that will regret saying no than yeah. regret saying yes.
0: No, I'm well, I'm with you, Carl. I, I, I
1: maybe maybe five times in my life that I, I was on the bandstand saying, Man, this sucks and I regret saying yes to this gig.
0: Yeah.
1: It almost never happens. I'm always happy to be on the bandstand. Especially if I'm with like friends around
0: me. Yep. And we're playing great music. I hear you. I couldn't agree with you more. I there's there's no better time than when we're playing music. Yeah. And, uh, and generally when you're playing somewhere, you're playing with people that are your friends. Yeah, your and friend. so What's a, what's a better way to spend your time, but playing with friends and, uh, and making, making music. I know it's always a super high for me. So yeah. Yeah. We're I'm with you there. Uh, well, I kind of like to switch gears just a little bit and get kind of, uh, talking about your creative side. Um, you know, when I taught jazz history, I would, uh, teach my students, or when I would teach my students about Duke Ellington, I would teach th- uh, him with a reminder to my students that he st- studied to be a painter before he dove seriously into music, and uh, and that I believed that he painted on a canvas of silence with colors of sound. That was Duke Ellington's approach to to music. Mm -hmm. composition and arranging what i'm interested carl in knowing about you is your various approaches to element the elements of music as a performer and as a composer i haven't asked you if you write much but if you do i'd like to hear about it and uh and what approaches that you may take to create different colors and forms of of musical expression and specifically what I'm after, and you've already touched on this a little bit when you talked about your sound, uh, you know, coming from players that you, you emulate, but specifically, would you discuss your concepts regarding musical timbre and texture, as well as any melodic and harmonic constructions that you, you uh, might create? Okay, uh,
1: coming from a like melodic instrument. I you know I'm not a very good piano player so I use the piano as a tool um even though I love just like sitting down on the piano and messing with chords and making the piano vibrate I when I was young younger I always had a hard time understanding the color the color thing Mhm I never I never thought about color. I I thought about more, uh, you know, vibration in my,
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. my
1: body. So, when I was writing, I was trying to write something that was um I like open chords, you know, but even though I love crunchy crunchy stuff as well. Um when I talk about orchestration, you know, mm-hmm. um so, so what, what, what makes me vibrate in different ways, like big waves or short waves vibration, you know, mm-hmm. crunchy stuff like that kind of fast pace, uh, frequencies that go through your body. And then the big chords, open chords have more of a slow vibration. And I, and I love experimenting with that. So that's what I was kind of when I was writing or playing in advance, that's how I felt. Now, I understand more like throughout, I'm in my 40s now. So, so. Uh, you know, I understand more about colors more about when I speak to a lot of people that were um, that are using that kind of concept. And I think it's, uh, it's fascinating to see or oh, this is for me this is blue, this is dark blue, this is some green and i'm i'm kind of able to understand where they're coming from I never use that I never use that that kind of okay. Thing. Um, for me, it, it was more uh, and I, if I may talk about uh, again we, we touched about this, but but uh, I because I think about this all the time. Okay, my my place as a as a baritone sax player, when I played the baritone sax my place in the in the orchestration uh and then my 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 place in the band and uh my role in the band and then i i can touch about about being more of a melodic person and then probably more listening to melodies um that's when I know that that a good composer is writing, and that is when he's able to write some some nice melodic melodic lines. It doesn't need to be the melody, but melodic lines down down in the in the low register, um, you know, on the baritone register. So uh, my, I I love listening hearing the whole band on one, on one side, and I I feel I can like you know. Uh, I'm the fond- like the link between the bass and the band, you mm-hmm. know, and then that, that you you have to be in tune with the ba- with the bass, and, and and one of my last conversation with Joe was with Joe Templey was exactly about that. How can you how can you make the band sound good to, to have all those those vi- vibration and frequencies like and harmonics just like sh- uh, shoot up. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, that's why you can't play loud. You can distort your sound, and then you can't mm-hmm. you can't overblow. You have to choose your moments, you know, to do that. And then that's all being being a musician is is that know know what to do when to do it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's why I love the very chair. I think is the most fun chair in the band. Let's say I'm mm-hmm. talking about big bands mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's the most fun. Uh, chair in the whole band, by far. And I'm, I'm saying this because I'm a baritone baritone sax player, but, but uh, you get to play with the bass, you get to play with the left hand of the, of of the piano, you can, you you play bass lines, but uh, you also play um, with the sax sections, you're going to play the fifth voice of the sax section. Sometimes you're going to play the melodies with the lead, sex, uh, the lead alto. Sometimes you're gonna play uh, with the trombone section. If there's three trombones, you're gonna play the fourth trombone. Or uh, if there are four trombones, you're gonna play the fourth trombone as well, and the bass trombone will be under you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: With a different kind of orchestration. Or you're gonna play play the second trombone, and then the lead trombone. You'll be right between him and the and the second trombone. And then you know they use you can use the baritone in very different ways. Or the big two D's. You're gonna play the the melody uh, of the of the shout chorus with the lead trumpet. So you get to play with all these guys, and mm-hmm. you know being versatile and having different colors and like using your tone to enhance the whole band. And that's why I say that the Barry chair is the most mm-hmm. most fun and the most interesting and the most it's very challenging because you you get to do all those things and every chair is very challenging as well.
0: Yeah, I, I it's amazing. I had never really thought about that before. But yeah. you're absolutely right. The berry sax has got is has so much more variability in terms of what you can do within the, in the big band. Mm. I mean, uh, you I get very excited
1: like, when I talk, speak about this. Oh, yeah, I, so I, can,
0: I, can, I don't blame you because I was thinking as a trumpet player, I mean, I'm either going to be playing melody or I'm going to be playing in support of the melody. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not going to be, well, I guess I, can, punches, you know, yeah, exactly. You, you do that on the baritone too. Punches with the yeah. trumpet. Yeah. You yeah. know, and occasionally somebody might write a head, where they'll put like uh trumpet with bass or something or trumpet with very, you know, just kind of as a, uh, you know, a different kind of unique color, but it, it doesn't certainly doesn't happen as often as what you do sitting in your chair. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah that is, that is very, it's so exciting. So that's when
1: you bring different kind of colors and then uh, like very really good arrangers and, and orchestrators will create new sounds by combining different instruments. And then, um, it will create new instruments. Uh, And and then uh, the fact and and then that's when my classical side of playing with orchestras and and, um, wind bands and all that comes to play is that I love playing with other people. And I listen all the time. And then I'm always like in the lookout, you know,
0: I'm gonna hear a little detail that I like. And well, and then you brought up something too, that's, that's really awesome. And that is that when you're playing in that low register, you're still creating overtones, overtones that are, that are, you know, going upward and matching with those instruments that play in the higher registers. Yeah. You know, I, I also direct a symphonic band, actually I had two different symphonic bands and uh, I work very hard at making sure that my bass clarinet, berry sax and tubas are in tune because yeah. if they're not in tune the band isn't going to sound in tune i don't care how much work i do in because again because that that's the the, the fundamental the base yeah. of the sound and then of course the the resulting overtones and if they're out of whack it's going to sound out of, yeah so and sometimes yeah. and it's
1: totally fine sometimes if the lead alto or the, the lead trumpet notoriously are just on top of the of the pitch. That's yep. okay. That's okay. You got to be careful when you play two T's. Okay, you want to be right in tune with the with the lead trumpet, that, that's fine. But fundamentally, you need to be right there with the bass. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then so they can sit just on top of the pitch and then, uh, and they do that on purpose, like really good. Business. I know, I, I noticed that you had Frank Green. Yeah, Frank. Uh, uh-huh. One of the most fantastic lead trumpet I ever played with. And yeah. then, uh, and and, he, and that's a guy that's really in tune, man. Yeah. And, you know He's in tune he, and then he, I mean, if he chooses is to be on top of the pitch, that's fine, but that's a conscious, conscious uh, decision. And uh, yeah, he's.
0: Yeah, man. Frank. Oh, Frank's a, Frank's an old buddy of mine from uh, when Frank we were North, it, North Texas together.
1: Yeah, awesome. Although he was God. an
0: undergraduate when I was a graduate student, and oh, uh, he's, but my tour, uh,
1: he's my touring partner. Man, we yeah. go to all the restaurants and and uh, yeah. oh man, he's my man.
0: Well, yeah. now you got now next time you see Frank, you've got something to to talk about. You can talk about me
1: yes, yes. <laughs> oh man oh i can't wait for the next time i see i saw him just a few weeks ago yeah, yeah. Hopefully will, yeah. well we're, we're gonna play in a couple of months we have a gig with uh, christian mcbride Uh huh. hopefully he's on it i don't know if he's on it but uh,
2: yeah.
1: yeah uh usually i mean uh if we were touring it's not a tour but it's a it's a hit in toronto canada yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah. hopefully beyond that and so we can like play together and hang yeah. out yeah
0: well, be, well, make sure and say hi to Frank for me when yeah, you do yeah, see him, because yeah, I I, 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 touch base with him every once in a while on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook, and, yeah. and uh, we touch base a little bit, but I haven't spoken to him face to face since I did that interview with him, and that's been uh, almost two years ago. Oh, was it? Oh, wow. I was going through your list and
1: I said, oh man, oh, oh, cool.
0: And then I said, hey, and I said, do I see James argue? And then I saw Frank, oh, wow, that's so cool, man. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I remember, I remember Frank, Frank never, never, never finished. He got, he went on the road with uh, Woody when he was 19. Wow. And never looked back, you know, he he was with Woody and then he was with uh, he was with Maynard Ferguson. And that was actually the last time I saw Frank in the flesh and spoke to him face to face was back Mm -hmm. in about 1995 when he was on the road with Maynard and they were here in Waukesha. And I had forgotten that he was on Maynard's band. And I went to the you know how they always do a clinic in the afternoon right before Mm -hmm. the concert at night. So I went to the clinic and uh, uh, I walked in the room and I looked in the corner and zap, there's Frank. And I mean, we hadn't seen each other. Of course, <laughs> we weren't about to like run across the room and hug each other because there was a big yes. group of people. But it was that kind of feeling because uh, yeah. okay. my first time, my first, okay, my first time hearing
1: him was okay, in 1994. It's my first time in New York. it's it's some kind of like a school uh uh trip yeah new york my first time in new york i'm like completely so i was like still my my teen like maybe 17 i can't remember i think it's 94 maybe 95 and uh me and my friend my friend baritone player that that him and i in high school we used to listen to music all the time together we decided to go to the blue note because uh maynard is playing I mean, yeah. from Montreal. I mean, we gotta go, yeah. but when we're, we're underage, we can't get in. Ah, so we say, we say, man, we we came from Montreal just for this, which is not—we are just school trip. But yeah, yeah, we, and then and then we we let the whole group leave, and we we didn't tell anybody that we were doing this, so we didn't get. <laughs> We didn't want to hear no you can't do this so we didn't say anything yeah stayed behind and went to the blue note and the guy was super cool said listen you can you can sit here and we stayed at the bar and of course just had a coke or whatever right 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 and i saw i saw maynard and then frank was playing it was the beep big bop nouveau New band yes yeah. And then we went upstairs, and we said we we we, we went to see uh, to meet Maynard. And Maynard was like there with his like sweaty t-shirt, and like see, and he opened the door. Bon vivant, hey! And we start speaking in French and say hello and have our you know uh, our, our our bill uh, signed by him. And we spoke a little bit, and then that was it. But yeah. that was the first time I saw Frank without knowing it. Yeah. yeah. Ten years later, fifteen years later, I started playing with McGill, uh, with McGill, uh, with McBride, and then uh, those were the first time I was playing with Frank, even though we knew each other before. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, Frank, were you there at the Blue Note in 1994? And I said, sure, it was. I said, man, I saw you. <laughs> so, yeah. man it was, And now we were playing we've been playing buddies for, for a good. Sure.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's, uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, just, well, he's just a wonderful, wonderful person, but, wow. you know, I want to, you know, speaking about wonderful people, you know, one of the things that I've learned from doing this podcast and I've, you know, I've interviewed music, lots of different musicians, uh, you know, they're based in New York And L.A. and Chicago and so forth. But everybody I talk to, you know, and I think you would agree, musicians, for the most part, are really great people. You know, I mean, some of of them can be a pain in the neck. We know that there's some that have, you know, kind of peculiarities and could be a pain in the neck. But I think in general, it can be said that uh, musicians are generally a a very uh, uh, agreeable Easy to get along with, yeah. nice people. That's usually
1: that's my experience as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, and of course that's why I love to go out and play because, you know, you're around, surrounded by people who are, are really good people. So anyway, my question for you, Carl, is you play with a number of different big bands in the New York area, and I'm interested in hearing you verbalize the challenges that these different band leaders present with the arrangements that many of them write. For example, Jai Lee's charts are, from what I hear of them, very rhythmically overlaid, full of complex rhythmic structures. Mm-hmm. That's the way they sound to me. They are. Uh, Pedro Guerrero's music course, very Latin influenced. Uh, and Ken Poplowski and Christian McBrides, mm-hmm. very sophisticated, straight-ahead jazz. And and John, uh, Ira ba- is it Ira Bagan? Ira Bagan?
1: Uh, Ira Bagan.
0: Ira Bagan. Yeah, okay, I, I Ira We
1: I put went him. to school. We went to Juilliard together. Okay. He's but, an amazing sax player. But his month.
0: music, it seems, comparatively much more outside than yeah. any of any of the others, but yeah. could you talk for just a few minutes about the challenges that you face as a musician mm. uh, when you play with these particular band leaders and their charts?
1: Well, that's well you know, when we were talking about, you know, the baritone sax players role in the, in, in the band. And then, and um, I, I love those different ways of, of, uh, those different composers, they all write differently for the instrument. So I get to experiment and then, and, and I love the fact that they give, they, they give me a lot of um uh, a lot of loose rope, you know, to, to be able to experiment to how, how to play those, uh, the parts that they write to, that they write for the baritone sax, uh, how do, how to you know being true to my sound and my way of playing and then incorporating them musically as as musically as I can in 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 the you know the the, the spectrum of, of of the piece of or the or the band um so playing for, for Darcy is very different than yes McBride, for McBride with Christian McBride uh it's a very different way of writing for the instrument my role is a little different uh and then i love experimenting with this and i i i, I get a kick uh, out of uh out of playing with with both of those bands um but for different reasons first of all playing with christian mcbride playing with uh, Christian is amazing because he's a bass player and he's, mm-hmm. he's got all those bass lines and I'm going to play those bass lines with him. Mm-hmm. and Christian, I don't know if you know, <laughs> but he's the most magical freaking genius on the instrument or as a person, you know, this yeah, guy, yeah, is yeah. He's Like he's, a, a amazing, uh, person, uh, you know, f- a photographic mem- memory, uh, you know, it's it's just like, it's insane, uh, insane intelligence. And uh, oh, yeah, but, but but such a great bon vivant and, and great person as well. I just love him to pieces. But the way he plays the bass and the way he feels the time it's so deeply rooted in the swing and and uh, it's just the deepest triplet swing feel i ever felt right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when i play my baritone lines with him it's it feels so amazing because i'm right there with him go to darcy james argue when he writes for his baritone it's so rhythmical and the, he he got lots of layers j Hay writes uh, maybe more on the Darcy side of Mm -hmm. as well. And then, and then it's so amazing to play his parts and then understand it's so metrical, but he's able to be so precise in what he wants. And and he he writes everything, all the little details that you hear, everything is written down. Okay,
0: he hears all that
1: stuff like that. That's another genius, completely amazing.
0: I remember when I interviewed Darcy, we had the most fascinating discussion about big bands in general and how big bands have changed. And then about his writing for the big band, you know, versus how big bands uh, or writing for the big band, say 50 years ago, it was just fascinating. It opened up my head. His knowledge is uh, his knowledge of
1: big bands. Unbelievable, but yes. his knowledge of everything—it's yeah. yeah. It's just like insane. How he knows you—you know, you can have a conversation about oysters and beer and wine and food forever with him. He is. Uh, yeah. Or in politics, are you kidding me, dude? Man, this guy is deep, incredibly deep. Oh, and he you, writes you both, that way. Uh, and
0: those, kind of, I was going to say both those people you've mentioned, Christian McBride and Darcy James Argue, both. <laughs> Very erudite, intellectual,
1: well, awesome
0: people. Yes. No other way around it. Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, Winton Marsalis. I have played a number of times with him. Is oh, we all know he, he he's definitely a, a genius as well. And, and then his, you know, his stuff that he's been doing in the past few years, writing for uh, um, uh, orchestra and big band. Uh-huh. All, all that he's got a number of symphonies now he called them like symphonies one two three I, I think I'll rise, I'll rise Rises Symphony number one I, I'm not exactly sure but his swing symphony and all that's uh, and uh the jungle and oh my God the stuff that's in there it's insane and yeah. this guy's knowledge is so incredibly deep you know and 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 then he makes the whole orchestra sound so, like they never we played a concert a couple of years ago with the Philadelphia uh orchestra and uh and i think we played the, either the swing symphony or the jungle and he, oh my god sitting in the middle of that orchestra playing all that amazing music was one of the most amazing musical experience i uh, i I had a, a chance to live and play and be part of it, and it was so amazing. And and then uh, so I mean, playing with Winter, uh, I mean I I don't play regularly with him, but I, I do play. I, I did play a, a number of times with him, and then um, with Christian and Darcy, and uh, or oh, Rufus Reed's, uh large ensemble. Rufus, man. You know, apart of being part of the, the the deep history of this music uh-huh. as a bass player, Ken Wright is, is but off. Uh, it's it's really amazing. Wow. Uh, that was a very French-Canadian way of saying but, uh, <laughs> but uh, off. You know, so.
0: Well, I think, you know, what's amazing to me, Carl, is how many, how multidimensional people that maybe came up as you know just quote unquote jazz musicians yeah but how they have blossomed you talk about Wynton Marcellus writing symphonic music and but how about Terrence Blanchard writing opera for the opera. Met for crying out loud yeah uh I mean well, I think I, he has two right yes he has two uh I remember seeing Terrence in Milwaukee at a club oh I'm gonna say probably 20 years ago and uh and uh and I think this was before Mo Better Blues came out.
1: Oh, okay. Or
0: around the time Mo Better Blues.
1: Ninety-two.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's been more than twenty-five years. It's right. been been a good long while. But anyway, I saw him at a club, and you know, and you you, you think, okay, he's a great jazz trumpet player. But my goodness, here he is with all this real genius kind of thinking at work. I mean, to write an opera is not the same thing as writing a, uh uh a, a jingle, you know, <laughs> or maybe it is, I don't know. I shouldn't speak like that because I'd never written a jingle, but, but uh, you know, for years and years, we always used to kind of look at like Leonard Bernstein as maybe this consummate sort of uh, artist intellectual, because he, 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 Balanced on both sides of the classical and the jazz slash pop fence, if you will.
1: Broadway. Broadway. Broadway swing.
0: Exactly, and 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 jazz influenced things, and and he was a, an incredible mind, intellectual, uh, you know. I love and, him too. But what we're finding is there's a lot more out there than just Leonard Bernstein. You know, people like that we've just been talking about, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful. I think that is the huge victory for for music. You i have... see Christian?
1: Christian's one of Christian's latest uh, big band album that we recorded a few years ago is uh, <clears throat> is uh, with um, with a choir. Ah, he did uh, so. It's it's called "The Movement Revisited," and it's about the civil rights movement, very, very deep music, very amazing concept. He's got four speakers that represent Rosa Parks, and Muhammad Ali, and Malcolm X, and, um, and uh, Martin Luther King, I think. Mm. And, then, and then they all have different excerpts of, of their speeches. Wow. And then, uh, and then we all play and every movement is uh is uh you know to re- representing one or the other or combined uh, and then there's a whole choir in the back and then uh, it's amazing it, and it, it, really beautifully deep music and I always cry like uh, near the end that I have a dream speech oh, and yeah. play together and I'm like
0: I'm playing and I, oh, like, sure. I can't help it man this is so emotional. It's amazing. Yes, it was. It, well, I mean, the speech, too. I can imagine. I'll have to look. Is, oh, that, can is, that, album, is that album out? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it came out during the pandemic.
1: Okay, and I'll look for there it. Was little, there was a little scuffle with the, one of the families and the, oh. the, the copyrights and all that. So, okay. so, but now it's, it's out and it's about, uh, because we recorded it a number of years ago, uh, it, it was not allowed to be, enter the, the Grammys. Okay, year, I, I see. Over the year before, and but but that's too bad because man, it's a great, beautiful uh album. So the oh. movement revisited, yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. I'll, I'll check it out after we get through here today. It, I, I just have a few more questions and Go then I'll wrap it up because we've, okay. we've been talking really for a good long while. and I love it. <laughs> I could probably keep going for another good long while, but oh, I know we, you've got a gig to get to later, and I've got yeah. Uh, I've I do. Got, my wife is going to start wondering where i disappeared to <laughs> <laughs> but uh what i'm interested we we've been talking about recordings uh can you share with uh me and my audience about any projects that you have planned or in the works or coming up uh any recordings that you've got going
1: well um personally personally okay i have to i have to uh f- finish a project that i want to do uh myself as a as a quartet you know i'm uh you know slowly very <laughs> slowly trying to like get it together and then and, and, uh um and writing some music and um hopefully recording in the next i don't know um you know whenever it's going to be done okay um uh, there's a i've been involved in a, in a large and, large, uh, small group, large, small, uh, like 10 t-tip, 10 t-tip, uh-huh. uh, with uh, some of my friends, old friends from uh, my Juilliard years that we're all, you know, th- that's one of the best things that ever happened to me is coming to Juilliard and meeting all those guys and girls, mm-hmm. and, then, and and still playing with them, and still, you know, being part of my musical community. And then I knew then, like 15 years ago, I knew then that uh, even 20 years ago, my God, that these people will be like follow me in my career the, the whole way. And then I'm, I've been there for them and they've been there for me. And then uh, uh, that, that group is called um, um, Uptown Jazz Tentet. Oh, okay. And, uh, we, had, we got two records out and then. And it's really fun to play. And hopefully, and hopefully, more writing, you know, I'd I'd love to write for the band as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just just finished A huge project for Darcy James Argue this past fall, Uh, recorded uh, a whole lot, I think two, two albums, or I mean, uh, that was a lot of music. Yeah, yeah, and oh, a lot of music, and then we we spend five days, full days at the uh, at um, at the uh, Avatar, the um, what's it called now, uh, the new Berkeley uh, Berkeley Studios, mm-hmm. and then we uh, uh, that was that was amazing, that was a fantastic five days, and uh, I just recorded as well with the, this new composer called uh, her name is uh, Tracy. Yang, she mm-hmm. was great, beautiful music, and we just spent a couple of days at Avatar again. Um, uh, there's man, I got I think Migi Migiwa. I think you you uh interviewed Migiwa Migi, mm-hmm. well. Migi. yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, Migi always has she always has a lot of projects uh going on, and then she was just you know, getting in touch with me for a new project coming. Oh, up. wonderful! So so uh, I got that going and uh there's a new uh, recording coming up uh we're going to record a little later this spring as well with Mike Holiber you know Mike Holiber the name uh, sounds familiar but I don't know great anybody. pianist great uh-huh. pianist but amazing composer and okay uh, talking about linking all kinds of you know classical wind ensemble uh, orchestra big band and he he's got he's got all he can do it all and uh, mm-hmm. what a f- fabulous composer and uh, arranger and uh and uh, big band leader mike oliver uh I got some stuff with them um uh, there's a number of recording that came out recently one with andy Fa- andy farber i'm on that one and then uh jared shonen great great drummer in town uh who uh put a band together and hired a bunch of uh uh arrangers to arrange this music and then uh and then we recorded a great album fantastic album that sounds really good Jared Schoenig uh you know some arrangers are um Darcy and uh Miho and uh number and Mike I think Mike Oliver has one and uh McNeely has one as well uh you know so it's uh, all those arrangements of, of Jared's music that's a great album that came out recently uh-huh. um, that's another one uh he's a an amazing musician great woodwind player uh plays everything oh, wonderful and then but his arranging he's like he he's been living in my head all those years because he's he's diving into uh uh, and, and, you know movie music and then soundtracks mm-hmm. and all that he's got all that stuff he's from the west coast and and uh, he's able to like translate it into a big band uh, in a fabulous way and uh he's, yeah he our recording that i did with him has nominated a couple of, of tunes are nominated for Grammys, um, you know this coming february so yeah remmila that's another guy that that you should check out because i talk to him he's probably very highly intelligent beautiful person an amazing musician um and then hope hopefully uh, i'll get to play with pedro soon uh, he's been uh, pedro giraldo has been uh, busy with his uh tango quartet stuff and been okay. very successful with that but playing with him is a We've been playing together for. I've been playing his music for a long time, like eighteen wow. years. oh
0: Well, that's great. Well, it sounds like you're keeping very busy.
1: Oh my God! Very busy. Pedro is the best man. I love him. Sure. He's such a beautiful person. And virtuoso on the bass, but man, his writing is off the charts.
0: Awesome. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Anyway, so those are the. Those are the all the projects. I'm hopefully. Oh some of my stuff in there too <laughs>
0: good good well it sounds like you've got uh got a really full plate and that's a good way to be you know i was uh uh, uh interested to know carl said you you said you live in harlem yeah. do you ever run across a uh keyboard player tw sample no that name doesn't ring a bell well he's a former student of mine he lives in harlem oh really and he, he goes to a few jam sessions and he's got uh a recording out his name is uh but he, he works under the name tw sample no i don't know him. yeah well if you ever run into him you can, you can min- you. drop my name and he'll he'll hopefully respond positively <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> no I'm- we had a i interviewed him back he was one of my early guests i uh-huh. i started out when i started this podcast i started with former students that are in, in the business but anyway well Carl to wrap things up is there anything else that you'd like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about
1: well if you want to educate yourself uh on baritone saxophone please do and continue writing some beautiful melodies and beautiful uh beautiful orchestration including the the Barry sax. don't forget the Barry sax doesn't play only down low can have a beautiful luscious sound up in the, in the upper, oh. register. use it, use it sporadically, uh, you know, be uh, just be musical, have fun with it. And uh, I'd love to play your music sometime.
0: <laughs> I will, I will keep that, keep that in mind of my, uh, any of my listeners out there that are ri- writers, you're absolutely right about the, uh, the instrument, uh, the, an interview I had a couple of weeks ago was with Andrew Hadro, Oh, yeah, man. And his new recording with strings, where he's playing primarily in the altissimo register on Barry Sachs, is just absolutely gorgeous. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, Carl, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. Uh, you you've, me, uh, you've got a lot going on. I'm sure you're a busy guy. And of course we've got new year's coming up. So uh, I know that can be a busy uh, uh, time for musicians, but I want to thank you for taking time out of your day. And I certainly want to wish you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future. Thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate it, man. You bet. All right. All
1: right. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Bye bye.
0: My discovery composer of the week is Samuel Coleridge Taylor, born in Holborn, London, England in 1875, died at Croydon, London in 1912. He was a violin pupil at the Royal College of Music and studied composition with Charles Villiers Stanford from 1893 to 1897. He had his first work, In the O Lord, published when he was sixteen, and his symphony in A minor was written when he was twenty. His most famous composition, Hiawatha's Wedding Feast, was based on verses from The Song of Hiawatha by the American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. His compositions inspired an African-American group of singers to form the Coleridge-Taylor Choral Society in Washington, D.C., When he visited the United States in 1904, he conducted them in his own works, accompanied by the United States Marine Band. On this trip, he was invited to visit President Theodore Roosevelt at the White House. His second trip in 1906 took him to Toronto, St. Louis, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Milwaukee, where he once again toured with the Coral Society. His third visit to the United States took place in 1910 when he conducted his own compositions in Boston, Detroit, New York City, and Norfolk, Connecticut. He also toured with African-American singer Harry T. Burleigh. Upon returning to England, he became the conductor of the Handel Society of London from 1904 until his death. He also held a post of Professor of Composition at the Guildhall School of Music and the Trinity College of Music. He set the poems of Paul Lawrence Dunbar and Samuel Taylor Coleridge Kublai Khan to music. He was known as the African Mahler and was encouraged in his career as a composer by Edward Elgar. Malcolm Sargent presented ten sessions from 1928 to 1939 of a ballet version of Coleridge-Taylor's Hiawatha Trilogy with the Royal Choral Society. Coleridge-Taylor saw it as his mission in life to help establish the dignity of African-Americans. He was greatly influenced by the poet P.L. Dunbar, the Fisk Jubilee Singers, W.E.B. DuBose, Frederick Douglass, and Booker T. Washington, among others. Many musicians in the United States looked on him as a beneficent, influence. He suffered many rebuffs on account of his race and at one time contemplated immigrating to the United States. Above all, though, he was known as a man of great dignity and patience. The All Music Guide lists one recording of his scenes from an imaginary ballet, 13 recordings of his chamber music, five recordings of his choral works, three recordings of his concerti, eight recordings of his compositions for keyboard, one recording of his symphony in A minor, nine recordings of other orchestral works, 14 recordings of his works for voice with accompaniment, and seven recordings of what the All Music Guide refers to as miscellaneous compositions. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Coleridge Taylor's Ballade for Orchestra performed by the Minnesota Orchestra conducted by Thomas Sandergard. That wraps episode number 124. My show notes along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing Jeff Schradel and Jeff Taylor of the Milwaukee-based Altered Five Blues Band, a group I first became familiar when attending the Waukesha, Wisconsin, Rotary Blues Fest last August. As soon as I heard them open up, I knew I wanted to interview them for my show. You will not want to miss next week's episode. Other upcoming interviews include blues singer songwriter The Reverend Sean Amos, country singer songwriter Rachel McIntyre Smith, and Los Angeles based jazz drummer and educator Mark Ferber. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at uwm.edu. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.